Beth Mazur and Brian Vastig were very close. They'd been good friends, were even married for a bit, and they were also advocates for chronic fatigue syndrome, an illness that Beth had struggled with for most of her life. But in late 2023, their friends began receiving alarming news about both of them. Friends of the couple started seeing news online that said, sadly, both of them had passed away. That's Mia Sato, who writes for The Verge. And it was kind of spreading within the friend group. At least four people had heard the news online that they had both passed away. And it was obviously this devastating kind of like double whammy of losing two friends at once. As with most deaths, obituaries started to post online, but friends of Brian and Beth noticed there was something a little off about what they were reading. The obituaries would say, you know, Beth and Brian sadly have passed away. There were kind of across different websites, sort of similar wording, but not quite clear about what had happened. And often in these pieces, chronic fatigue syndrome was mentioned, but it was worded in such a way that it's not quite clear what had happened. Then came the twist. Brian is a thousand percent alive. Beth had died, but Brian very much hadn't. And this caused a lot of unnecessary confusion and stress and anguish among his friends. It was this really weird thing where people kind of, even in far-flung places, were hearing the news that Brian had passed away, including a friend who was, like, on vacation in Europe. Brian, meanwhile, had no idea his friends thought he was dead. And finally, when a friend called him and said, do you know about this? That was when it was he started to piece things together. What was his reaction to that? I can't imagine you have a friend basically texting you being like, hey, are you alive? I'm hearing news that you're dead. There was this added pain and this added grief that uh, was completely invented. It was not stemming from any truth whatsoever. Um, It wasn't even rumors, right? It was just spam websites publishing something that is straight up untrue. So yeah, he told me that he was mad. He, He was angry about it. Unfortunately, Brian's experience isn't exactly unique. In her reporting, Mia found a number of websites that scrape data from the internet and create their own spammy obituaries, many times through the use of artificial intelligence. And because they aren't touched by human hands, many of these spam obits are crude, simple, or in Brian's case, just straight up incorrect. The sad thing that I kept on hearing after the story was published was that if you have lost someone in the last few years, you probably know exactly what we're talking about uh, because you have searched a name, maybe searched name, obituary, name, death, and have seen on Google how these sites can kind of climb to the top when there maybe isn't a ton of information on Google about the person other than their death. And it's a really weird kind of uncanny valley of like people being written about as if they're celebrities, but they're just people and they sadly have passed away in some some way or another. And yet these articles are like across different sites. Sometimes they have photos, they have these kind of grabby, very crass, and you know, they're obviously in very poor taste headlines, all designed to get people who knew them to click on the website. 
Today on the show, what happens when your loved one's death becomes clickbait? I'm Shana Roth, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. This is What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. If you've ever read an obituary, a legitimate one written by someone close to whoever has died, you were probably touched by the personal details. And you'd likely hope that whoever was writing your own obituary knows you well enough to include your passions, quirks, and accolades in it. I asked Mia what she would like to see in her obituary. They would probably say that I have a lot of clothes Um, they would probably say that I am always making something. I have, I love projects. Well, I hope they would say that I was funny and loving and nice and kind and helpful. And they would probably say that I always had some comment. I I am very bad at keeping my feelings to myself. (laughs) So they would probably say that I was sometimes annoying. (laughs) Now, If AI wrote your obituary or it was posted on a website like legacy.com, what do you think it would say? I only know these things because I did the reporting about it, but it would probably say that I left a quote indelible mark. The AI obituaries love to say that. It would also probably say that may she rest in eternal peace. That's another one I saw a lot, which is like a really like weird, it's very weird it would probably say that I greatly contribute to many communities such as my friends and family and work. It's in those exact terms without like any specifics. It might be able to scrape my Verge author profile and say, you know, Miyasato was a reporter at The Verge who covered this, this, and this, and she was based in Brooklyn, right? Like beat by beat. But I'm going to guess that it will be probably pretty dry. And verbose in a weird way, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Just really like very much giving like need to meet, needs to meet a word count. In your reporting, you found dozens of websites that post clickbaity obituaries for regular non-famous people, and they're often inaccurate and AI generated. Can you explain what these websites are and the kinds of things that they publish? They will publish anything you might be searching for. They often look really, really bad, kind of like they look a little out of date, uh, you know, pixelated images and logos. They have sort of weird names that you've never heard of, but maybe sometimes are kind of related to death, like sound like they relate to death. One was called In Loving Memories News. There was another one called Eternal Honoring. And the site's they have these this stream of obituaries and write-ups about people who have died, who the normal person doesn't know, um, who are private individuals. Some are kids, some are college students, some are elderly people. And they publish all day, every day, so that when there is a name that people are searching, their site will pop to the top in this sort of like void of other information. And that is the entire game. And then they load up the sites with a ton of ads that are very intrusive and everywhere. And they make money when people click on the website, click on the ads, and on and on. I've looked at a couple of these 
you know, sort of prepping for this discussion. And they are so crowded. Your eye has no idea where to look on these websites. Like they are not pretty at all. And I feel like if I just accidentally stumbled on one of these websites, because like I clicked a link and I was looking for something else, I would immediately click away. So, I mean, like, how do these websites exist? I mean, is the point just to make money off of those ads? I mean, do people actually spend time on these websites? In my reporting, someone mentioned the fact that when there's been a death in a family or in a friend group, people aren't like looking at the URL of the website. They are searching for their loved one's name in Google and seeing a bunch of sites that say the same thing, which is that this person is dead or that this person has died because of this reason. And so they're not necessarily like looking at the sites for perfect, valid author bios or author names or bylines. They're not looking to see if they've heard of this site before, if they've read it, right? They're just seeing these news articles that are all saying the same thing and all have the name of their loved one in them. So I think that these sites definitely benefit from like the fog after a death that other people are in. As far as I can tell, the game is pretty much entirely SEO. These sites are entirely relying on that, on swooping in when there's maybe no other information about a topic and jumping to the top. And so in the first few days after Beth's death, that is really when those sites were able to profit the most and be reaching the most people because there wasn't other information. And those are also like, if you think about it, 48 hours after a death, like that time I'm sure is so crucial for people who are planning a memorial or making arrangements or otherwise, you know, contacting friends. And that is exactly when these sites are able to jump to the top of results. When did these types of websites first start popping up? So these kind of obituary aggregators, as they're called, have been a problem for a while. I spoke to Courtney Goldmiller, who's the chief strategy officer at MKJ Marketing, which is a firm that focuses on funeral services. And she told me that this has been a problem for at least 15 years. And before the aggregator site, something like legacy.com is kind of like a more legitimate version of this, but there are countless other sort of scrappier, sloppier operations. It's been a problem for a really long time. And it's been something that Google has, I think, repeatedly said, we're working on, we're we're trying to fix this, or we're trying to make improvements on it. And it's still obviously a very big problem. Do you have a sense of who is running these websites? Like who is who is the the Wizard of Oz in all of this for each of these sites? In the specific cases that I looked at, they're often uh they seem to be operated abroad. There is very little information about the actual site operators on the website. I reached out to one site called Freshers Live and got uh, an email and I you know sort of asked my questions what what are you what are you up to here what what's going on and um someone named Dilip responded and uh didn't answer too many of my questions and said no we're not using AI and I said okay so how are you finding these people and how are you writing these things and he was just like that's highly confidential. And that was it. So I didn't get too many answers, but it often seems like it's probably like a scrappy team of people, like a few people working on these. They're sort of just like content farms, you know, and the sites are very bare bones. Like there's not a lot of 
I think, money put into setting them up. And there are just so many of them that uh, every time I would, you know, search a little bit more, I would find new ones. So it's a whole industry that maybe is paying the bills for some people. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine how much money this could actually make, but they're, they're at least profiting in some way because it's apparently worth the effort to do all of this. When we come back, how Google incentivizes this gross business. The rise of generative AI is exacerbating the scam obituary problem. In the past, this kind of work took time and manpower. Now, AI can scrape the information needed for an obituary and write at lightning speeds. Mia says the site's also unsurprisingly, get the details wrong. A lot. There was one article about Brian and Beth that claimed that they had both died, which is incorrect. And the obituary that they posted appeared to be an AI-generated summary of an op-ed that the two had written in the Washington Post. So Beth and Brian, I should mention, also were advocates, um, disability advocates. They advocated for people with chronic illness And they kind of, you know, maybe different from a lot of people, they did have a little bit of a public profile. And so they had co-bylined this Washington Post article about their experience with chronic illness. And the obituary that I found was just like sentence by sentence, a rewording of this. And so Brian and I kind of were talking about, I wonder if whoever was producing this just scraped that page, saw the dual byline and said, like, these two people had passed away, and here's a summary of this experience. There was one site that I came across that was really doing quite well in this in this business. Um, it's called The Tiger, uh, spelled T-H-A-I-G-E-R, and they're based in Thailand, hence the name. But that site was a little egregious, I would say. So they publish articles about any topic imaginable. Like not only do they publish these clickbaity news articles about kids who have died, you know, parents, teachers, local teachers, local coaches all over the world, but they also have a steady stream of stuff going on, you know, in higher education and politics in conflicts around the world. And their author page, when I looked at it immediately, there were like at least three people who were AI generated. (laughs) So they were not hiding it very well. The pictures were, you know, sort of that weird, smoothed, hyper chiseled look. Yeah. And you mentioned one of them, like their necklace kind of disappeared or they had like buttons on both sides of their shirt. But then when you mentioned it, it, it like it, they magically disappeared because I checked the website for them and I was like, where are they? Yes. Uh, Jane Nelson, who was like, she was described as like a seasoned financial journalist. And she was the one who had a necklace that ended halfway down her chest. So yeah, sorry. So sad for Jane. Uh, she does not work at the Tiger anymore. Her picture has disappeared. And I think all of her stories last I checked had also been wiped, um, which I don't think a seasoned financial journalist would be too happy about. There were a few others and yeah, one of them had like the buttons on both sides of his shirt, just like obviously, you know, not, they weren't hiding it very well and they didn't respond to my request for comment, I should say, but they did remove those people. A lot of what is on these sites doesn't make sense. There was one that seemed to combine Beth and Brian by making them Brian and Beth. There was another 
that I found darkly funny, which was that both of Brian's parents died before he was born, (laughs) which makes no sense. But then you have others that seem kind of coherent. So you could see how people might not second guess what they're reading, especially if they're, you know, shocked to learn about the death of a friend and aren't immediately thinking about what kind of website they're on. Those ones almost seem even more insidious to me. Yeah. Like in the example of the tiger, that site looks pretty close to what you would expect a news outlet to be. If you look on the tiger and look under like deaths or something, you will see that they publish these articles about a lot of people. Um, They publish them about kids, like I said, people who have died kind of suddenly, you know, in accidents and such. It has the sheen of a legitimate news outlet. And it's only when you kind of do a closer look, maybe with fresh eyes or maybe kind of removed from the grief of losing someone that you begin to realize that like, wait, something weird is happening. Like, for example, on The Tiger, the articles are often written in like a really offensive manner. These pages about normal people who have passed away are often tagged as trending, which is like, Mm. what could that possibly mean? Um, And, you know, they often have language that's like, stay up to date with all of the updates regarding, you know, Mia Sato's death. And it's like, what updates could you, and they never have updates, of course. Right. Um, But it's, it's written like classic clickbait. So I don't know if they are, you know, running this through some sort of AI generation tool, if they have, you know, kind of maybe in-house templates where they just plug and play names and locations and stuff. But these, these pages, these articles, never say anything real about the actual person. They're always sort of these platitudes and kind of big statements that really there's nothing emotional underneath them. Um, they're written as if you were like mimicking what you thought, you know, a death notice or an obituary might say. What impact do these obituary scraping websites have? I mean, in Brian's case, they spread fake news of his death, which is terrible. But are these types of websites harmful even when they're correct? Yeah, I think they definitely are. It doesn't have to be like we invented a death. Um, In some cases, uh, the scraping sites will have information about like a service or a memorial and it will will be incorrect. Um, And so people will show up at the wrong place at the wrong time and we'll be like, I'm here for this funeral. And then funeral homes have to like explain, sorry, actually this is, you know, this is wrong or this already happened or it's not today. They also, some scraping sites collect orders for flowers that never arrive or that arrive late. Um, And then, you know, the funeral home gets angry calls from, from mourning friends and family being like, why didn't my flowers get there? There's also, I think, just sort of this psychological impact of seeing these articles that are so like nakedly for profit about someone that you love and care about and often maybe are incorrect, Um, you know, details about their life being wrong and there's nothing you can do about it. Brian, for example, actually did reach out to Google and tried to get some of these sites that said he was dead taken down. And Google kind of sent him a canned answer that said, you know, we didn't find anything that was violating our terms of service, which kind of makes me think you should rethink your terms of service if that doesn't violate something. And it's not just spam AI obituary websites. An entire cottage industry has popped up on YouTube known as obituary pirating. 
The most prolific channels upload new videos every few minutes, and they're all nearly identical. There's a man sitting alone, narrating an obituary of a stranger. Now, some of these videos make money off ads. Others promote products in the video description. The point isn't to be accurate. It's to churn out as many videos as they can. It's all made possible and supported by Google. Google creates a set of incentives that are incongruous with like what we would want to happen here, which is that only the legitimate, accurate, official obituary is displayed, for example. Because Google creates the the conditions where websites are competing with each other for clicks. And it's sort of a zero-sum game with, you know, you're either above a page or below it. And the things that are on the top are what often get clicked on. People don't bother going to the next page or scrolling down. And so it becomes this game of like who can fit their content best for Google search algorithms. And these obituary sites have realized that when there's a death, a bunch of people will search for a name that maybe isn't searched Mm -hmm. for much otherwise, right? I believe that that's one of the measures that they're using to see if there's been like a spike in search traffic for a certain name, plus the term obituary, for example. And then that's how they kind of decide who they write about. That's how they're finding out about these deaths for people that um, they don't know and most people don't know. How did Google respond to your questions about this whole issue? I know you reached out to them. I flagged about 15, I want to say, websites that had written about Beth. And um, I also flagged multiple YouTube channels that had been posting these really like bizarre videos of people reading off of a script basically about her death. So Google removed the YouTube channels that I flagged and said that they violated YouTube policies. They didn't say which. And then for the websites, last I checked, they did not take action on them and also would not say whether they had violated spam policies. Their reasoning, I think, was like, we don't want copycats or something, um, which I don't quite understand that that line of thinking. But these big sites are still operating. And they kind of said, like, we know that data voids are a problem. This idea of like you search for something and there's nothing there. And so Google just surfaces whatever is closest. And they said that, you know, it's not just search, it's all search engines that have a problem with this, but that we're working on updates and didn't really expand on that. Is there anything to be done about this? I mean, if there's so many people who are being mispronounced dead on the internet that feels like a problem or just people with bad obituaries who have died out there. I mean, is there something to be done about this? Can people at least get the bad obituaries taken down? It seems like that experience is really either difficult or impossible. In Brian's case, he was not able to do that, even for the stuff that was very obviously wrong. Other people, after I published this story, had said, you know, we tried really hard to get things like this removed when my father died or my cousin died. So it seems like it's really an uphill battle for the people who are affected the most, who are surviving family and friends. I saw some people joke like, if I die, make sure that my obituary is perfectly SEO, you know, like perfect for SEO and that you write it in a way that it can outrank these other ones. I will say also that after Beth passed away and a few weeks after after these articles started popping up, Brian actually wrote 
Beth's obituary. And last I checked, at least it was towards the top. So it has been outranking these spammy sites. Um, but not before, obviously these sites kind of caused a bunch of headache and heartbreak for, for people in their circles. Mia Sato, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Mia Sato is a reporter at The Verge. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Anna Phillips, and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Paige Osborne. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a small request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Shayna Roth, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. You can find me on Instagram and threads. I'm at Shayna R. Same for X, though, to a much lesser extent these days. I've also got a sub stack. Thanks for listening. <laughs>